The game changers for me have been people for the first time who didn't really believe in climate change believing in it and this notion that we really can't rely on our governments and our leaders to fix these problems for us anymore. We have to take action ourselves. People were coming in in the days and weeks afterwards just in a rage about the government's lack of pre-planning and awareness about climate change issues. One of my key words is environment. I think it's time for me to finally grow up and listen to my children. He's sick of the Andrews and the Beatrixes and the Edwards and Sophies and everybody gathering around and being on the pay list. Charles will come in and he will cut, cut, cut. Oh, says Button, I love your buttons. Well, hysterically, you'll never guess who bought the house next door to her. Senator John Button. She went over to him and said, hello, Senator Button, I'm Button Howard. (laughs) Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome everybody, we are back. It is time for episode 113 and the first episode of 2020 for Don't Shoot the Messenger. Corrie Perkin, welcome back. Yay, we're back. <laughs> uh, it, it's, welcome back. It's been, um, it's been nearly a month, hasn't it? And very Nearly a month? Oh, come on. Over a month. Well, it's, it's very nice because people have been <laughs> saying, when are you weeks. coming back? So it makes us feel wanted. We have got so much to talk about. Who would have thought? that the summer would have brought so much sadness, obviously, and tragedy, so much scandal and so many interesting things to talk about. On a cheery note, you and I are going to list our top three, top three Bs, books of the summer, top three films and top three meals we've eaten over the summer. And I think one of yours will be something you've cooked yourself, Corrie. (laughs) Is that a bit vain to actually say one of my favourite meals was something I cooked myself? Absolutely not. It's always such a relief when something works and not only works, but is really yummy. And also, Carol, we are going to talk about bushfires in a minute, but just on to housekeeping apologies and other matters. I did want to... um, sort of apologise, really, for a recipe that I shared back in November. <laughs> it's a bit late now for all the poor sods who did it. Well, <laughs> what was it? Was it was the Christini, oh, sorry, crostini with chicken livers, anchovies and capers. And my friend Jane, who came to the Dunch where I served that again after a, nearly a 20-year absence off my um, menu planning, um, my friend Jane, who came to that dunch that day, has since admitted they were pretty bloody awful, Dal. And I have to admit that oh. the chicken livers, um, they haven't sort of survived that that generational shift between the food of the 1980s and 1990s oh. to the food of the 2000s. You were raving about them. Well, I was about raving them. about them before I'd made them. And then I think she's probably well, that's right. actually that's Well, you know when you're the hostess and you're passing stuff around, you don't often eat your pass around food. But later when I was getting everything ready for main course, I had a bit of a nibble and thought, oh, that's pretty dry. Well, Jane has since admitted oh, they were just not great. So I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but we can still eat. Well, people who aren't vegan and vegetarian can still enjoy pate, can't they? Well, they can, but not. don't follow my recipe. So ditch oh. that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, without being rude. I think you probably should have tried it yourself before you passed it on to (laughs) Don't Shoot the Messenger, just saying. But anyway. And I also wanted to say a big thank you to Sarah Bernard, who of course, we know Sarah, who helped us last year. She's she's, um, the CEO of the Royal Women's Hospital Foundation. And of course, we had our wonderful Mother's Day gathering last year. And Sarah was largely responsible for that. She dropped off a lovely journal at the bookshop just before Christmas because she heard me moaning about the fact that I'd lost mine in the house move. Look what I have here. This is not the one that Sarah's given me, but I have a journal 
look, Miss Jane's looking very. Um, Why aren't you using the longing word Sarah gave you? you? Well, because I started this one, so then Sarah's will be the next one. You can't just jump from journal to journal. Gee, you're going to be doing a lot of writing this year, which, <laughs> which brings us to our 2020 challenges. We thought we might talk about three things we want to achieve, do better at, oh, Corrie, improve and introduce into our lives. We're starting off thinking you're very Pollyanna, aren't we? Well, you write the notes. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, I'm better you at sit, getting the coffee. You sit up at 11pm and do the bloody notes and think of something interesting I'm to better say. At Getting the coffee. I thought, I thought you. I thought improve. Of, I thought you could improve aspects of your life, Carol. I, don't worry. I've got a list. You go first, though. <laughs> well, it's hard to actually contain it to three, isn't it? So uh, I don't know whether potties remember, but the last couple of years I've always started the year with a word, and this word is the thing that continues through my year. So it's like a mantra thing. So I don't know why I do it, but Coco now follows on, so we compare words. My word this year is space. I realised last year that I had no space to do anything for me, no space to have time out or even just reflect or just do nothing. So... um, one of my challenges this year, Carol, is to every day find some free time for my space time. Harder than you think, yes. truth be told. Don't you agree? Yes, but when you say space time, are you able to just sit? Yes, that's that's And it. not watch television, not look at your phone, not pick up a magazine, just sit? Just sit. The, ch- the children have all started meditating, including Charlie and Ballarat, who was giving me lessons on the weekend, which is most interesting. So that could be part of it. The second thing I want to do is to read more books that I want to read. So the problem with being a bookseller is there's so much stuff you have to read for work, so I want to just do joyful reading. And the third thing is I want to get my golf handicap down. Oh, that's pretty impressive. You wanted me to give you a book that was something that you would want to read, and I'm still trying to find the flipping thing. For what my is best the three flipping books. thing? Well, I'm not going to tell you because oh, okay. it'll be a nice surprise when you get it. Can well, I just ask about the keep cup that you've kindly bought me? Where do I drink out of it? Well, you just lift the little lid thing like that and then you drink out of the hole. I know, it's not very big. They're not, it's not the Jane, most sad. Jane, could you do it? <laughs> <laughs> My challenges. My in- challenge is to work a keep cup. Oh, Carol. Thanks, Jane. My, oh, I see. That's so clever. My challenge is, um, well, my first one is environment because um, – well, the Keep Cup is obviously a start of it, and we've been terrible that we've taken this long to start using them. Um, but I finally have started composting. I composted for years, and then I stopped because um, I discovered a mouse in the compost bin. And when we renovated the kitchen, a couple of rats turned up under the house, and I just said, I'm not going to do this. I can't bear. But I've bitten the bullet. And um, so my, one of my key words is environment. I think it's time for me to finally grow up and listen to my children. And I'm, look, it does take time. It takes time to really do the right thing around your garden and to make sure you compost the right things and not the wrong things. So that is my first challenge. And you do have to monitor composting as well. Because as you said, if it gets out of hand, it's just a, an environmental disaster. Yes. Well, I've got two because the, the kids were particularly, Rose was telling us when she was over here before Christmas about the um, the gas emissions that come from comp- stuff that should be in the compost when it goes to the tip. Anyway, I'm composting. Swimming. As oh. our friend Mary says, you never regret a swim. And I'm going to start swimming in earnest. I mean, I'm already walking and doing some exercise. But Bay or pool? Both. Swimming is number mm. two. I just think... It's really, really important. It's so good for your body. It's so good. But what about your hairdos? Well, I've just got to suck it up. 
Well, do you get the free blow-away from Channel 9 and you'd like it to last a few days? Well, there Corrie, goes that I idea. I think a free blow-away from Channel 9 is a way, way of... I have to have my... You have to look decent to go on television. It's hardly a free blow-away. Well, you always refer it's to worth, it as the free blow-away. I don't say a free blow-away. You do. Well, that is just a complete mistruth. You'll have and to get one of those little hats like our mums wore that had the well, daisies on, the rubber well, daisies well, on Well, no, you, you get two of them. You wear two. And oh, it, it really? Actually, yeah. Oh, GLT. That's a GLT. And the third one is shed. And I'm not necessarily talking about my own body and weight, although that would be good, but just shed things out of my life. I thought life. you meant your new shed that Martin built you. No, no, no. I've, I've got a lovely new shed, but no shed things out of my life. And every week since January started, I've thrown out more things that I've brought into my house. I've got rid of furniture. I've sold stuff. I've given stuff away. I've taken stuff to the op shop. And I have cleared I've just got rid of things out of rooms and they just look so much better. And what about mental shedding? Well, no, I think, no, I don't need to mentally shed. I think I probably need to add more into my brain, not shed more. And what about, what about old friends? I'm not shedding friends. I'm shedding... You could. I, I, I would like to shed kilos. I don't want to shed friends. I want to see more of my friends, not less of them, but I want to shed things out of my life. Mm. And that involves anything from... I'm not doing your Marie Kondo, who, you know, has now starting, started oh, to sell stuff. Yes. We're, we're very angry with Marie. Get, buy, get rid of your product and then buy mine. Just, just you know, get less things in your life. Enjoy things more. That Less, less is more, I suppose. Well, Miss Jane, I think we should make a diary date that in June we do a six-month watch on how we've gone with our um, 2020 challenges. Now, Corrie, when we last did a podcast, we did that, um, well, it was a very enjoyable event at Bell's Hotel and we it was talked. fantastic. And we, everybody who came, thank you very much. We loved seeing you. That was in early to mid-December and it was a great success. And we had Peggy O'Neill and Conrad Marshall, whose Richmond book is still selling well. But um, we talked then about drought relief and bushfire relief. Little did we know that it would come so close to home, so close to, well, with throughout Victoria, that we would have friends who would lose their houses. And I suppose we're going to have a brief discussion about why you think it's been a game changer. For Australians. I think it has, Caro. Look, I was just having a chat before we started with Miss Jane about over the uh, shop counter, which I think is a real grassroots barometer of how the community is feeling, certainly a small little liberal kind of middle class community like I'm in, in the bookshop. People were coming in in the days and weeks afterwards just in a rage about the government's lack of pre-planning and awareness about climate change issues and the fact that they did that Scott Morrison did not meet with all of those emergency services people who wanted to three months ago. It's been a real, it's, for me, I think in the community, there's real anger and it's palpable and people want change and people want to help. I mean, that, that has been an extraordinary outcome, don't you think? Yeah, look, I think people's I think, responses to this. Yes, um, but it's it's been divided on political lines, and some people are angry that people have made it political, and some people are, are angry at the prime minister. And he obviously started off he started off the summer really badly by going on a secret holiday and not telling people. But I think I think what the game changes for me have been people for the first time who didn't really believe in climate change believing in it, um, and this notion that we really can't rely on our governments and our leaders to fix these problems for us anymore. We have to take action ourselves. And I think that is the thing that I, that is resonating for me across the community. Grassroots activism. Don't, don't look to leadership from Canberra because, A, it's not fair. 
it's not realistic, it's not feasible and it's not going to happen. I think the, the state premiers certainly in Victoria and New South Wales, and you look at their poll figures, are both up. They've both Scott been, Morrison's is down. Yeah, he's, he's badly down. But both Gladys and Daniel seem to have been standing alongside every emergency service official. Every time there's a major announcement, they've gone to the right places, they've said the right things. In the end, what can they really do? But they have well, probably... Well, they played the proper leader's role, Yes, they've, they? they've, they've gone up in everyone's estimations. But I, th- I think the climate debate has become nastier and more heated by the non-believers and the the passionate believers. But I think it's, just, as I said, this notion of we all need to do more to, to change things ourselves rather well, I, well, than rely on Canberra. Well, I think what you say, Carol, about um, people who perhaps had not given climate change too much thought or perhaps they were climate change cynics have now really come on board. And I think part of that is, first of all, we had we had free time <laughs> Bizarrely, when this terrible crisis was happening, we had free time. We were watching our televisions. We were watching Instagram feeds. We were listening to the people who the, the people on the ground, average Australians like you and I, not not conservationists, not members of the Greens Party. The CFA firefighter saying this is climate change. There is no doubt. Celeste Barber's mother, which went viral globally, her anger and anguish about the government's inability to tackle this matter. For me, they became the, the living, breathing faces of climate change and they were on the ground, they were experiencing it, they've been watching it for years, dry earth underneath them, drought, and they just snapped and we were there watching them. I've never seen such a collective response in terms of fundraising. Oh, yeah. What have you done? We've given to the Red Cross and the, uh, well, I know that you said, oh, koalas, but I have given to, I haven't given, I have given to the Wildlife Fund. But what we're doing in terms of, the, that was privately, but in terms of the bookshop, um, it took me a while to kind of think about what was happening here and what we should do because a lot of businesses responded, we're going to give, you know, a day's takings or whatever. And I thought, mm, let's do something that's, and I thought, what is it that the bookshop does really well? You know, what is our core thing that we do? We put on good events. So I got on the phone and so for those people who might be interested, we haven't publicly gone out there yet. We're having a big bushfire fundraising and also awareness raising event on March the 26th, which is a Thursday. I think it's the 26th. And it we will feature Magda Zabansky, Will Connolly, who's known as Egg Boy, Barry Cassidy, our friend from former ABC, and also Margaret Simons, a wonderful journalist, award-winning journalist who's written a quarterly essay that comes out at the end of March on climate change, drought and bushfire. And those four eminent speakers will be at the bookshop. The trick here is that the tickets are a minimum $100 donation. So you could give $500 for a ticket if you wanted to, but all of this money is going to Magda and Will Connolly's uh, most excellent, I think, foundation that they've set up to help mental health services post-bushfire during the recovery, going into those areas to really help the people. And I can remember from Black Saturday, which I covered, as you know, back in 2009, talking to those people who were just so dumbstruck, who were in, in trauma and shock, and you just knew that this was going to be years of recovery and they needed help. So I think it's a fantastic cause and we will have details about this event in the show notes. Well, that's... Um, what, are you, what have you been doing with your giving? I've given some money just whenever there's been. I've given some money to the Salvation Army, which, you know, again, they seem to have pretty low costs in terms of what they have been doing for bushfire relief. And I'm not scoffing at the koalas. I just think it's tragic what's happened to our wildlife, but it doesn't move me the way it does 
um, when I see people lose their homes. Of course. And certainly firemen lose their lives. But um, the other thing is we're going on a road trip. So we're, we're spending money in – I've been buying virtual coffees at a couple of cafes, one in Mallacoota and one further north up the New South Wales south coast. But we're, um, we were going on a road trip. We cancelled it and now we're going again because the place that we'd booked to stay wrote us a sort of a passionate email saying, look, you'll get your money back as a refund if you don't come, but we implore you to come. And this is in the New South Wales coast. Yeah. Well, we're ending up at Mollymook, but we're going via Mallacoota. So oh, we're gonna, brilliant. We're, hopefully, if the roads are open, it's a week after next. I see, in fact, Ross and John from 3AW doing live broadcasts have done one at um, yeah, Lake Centrum. And Fran Kelly this week has done one as well. Yeah, yep. so, I mean, they're all going back into the area. If the roads open at Molly Mook in the first week of Feb, that's where I'll be and winding my way up that coast. And I'm really looking forward. I'm not looking forward to seeing the devastation, but I just think it's a good way to help to go and spend well, your money. Carol, uh, we're, it's we're such gonna, a beautiful part of the world. Exactly. And we're doing the same actually. We're thinking about our next holiday as you do when you, la- you one holiday closes, another one opens. And you're thinking, I'm thinking about the rest of the year, what will we do? And we've decided that instead of doing something that might be considered glamorous or interstate or even international, we're going to hit the road as well. And I know a lot of people, my brother, instead of camping in the Flinders Ranges, he, he and his missus are now going to the, you know, Malacuta, south coast of New South Wales. A lot of people are doing this and it's the hashtag empty esky if you want to uh, have, an, have, you know, Join a, join a group that's really um, presenting every day on Instagram new businesses, fantastic businesses, wineries that have had, that have that have reopened, restaurants that have reopened, and go there with your empty esky and spend your money. Caro, the fire season is not over, so no. we're only halfway through. So we shouldn't really be talking about recovery yet at this stage. But let's keep the money coming in, everyone. Now, from the sublime to the ridiculous, it wouldn't be a podcast episode if we didn't mention. You know who? Well, it was a pretty big bombshell. It was a major, major bombshell when Harry and Meghan put out that, without consultation, Instagram statement that they were leaving the royal family. You You were a little bit dismissive, I felt, when I first discussed it with you. Over a drink. Well, you, you well, a couple I was, of weeks I ago, you were like, "Oh, well, it's been coming for ages," and they knew it was going to happen. They, the royal family were horrified at the statement. No, uh, no, I, I still, I still disagree with you about that. Um, but we do have a little bit of audio that Miss Jane has picked up um, from Harry's speech last week. Our hope was to continue serving the Queen, the Commonwealth, and my military associations, but without public funding. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible. I've accepted this knowing that it doesn't change who I am or how committed I am. But I hope that helps you understand what it had come to, that I would step my family back from all I have ever known, to take a a step forward into what I hope can be a more peaceful life. I was born into this life and it is a great honour to serve my country and the Queen. When I lost my mum 23 years ago, you took me under your wing. You looked out for me for so long, but the media is a powerful force. And my hope is one day our collective support for each other can be more powerful because this is so much bigger than just us. Oh, bravo, Harry. Well, yes, I mean, but the the lead in all of that is that it, they haven't got the deal that they wanted, have they? No, they haven't. The, the, but... queen, the queen said no. Yeah, but, but 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 we have to remember, Caro. Also, like my theory is that this is kind of like watch this space a bit, because you know pretty soon Harry is going to be the son of the king. 
let's assume that's the way things go and that he doesn't sort of just decide that he won't take the job and he's going to give it to William directly. So in other, in, anyway, he'll be the brother of a king, but he's the, he will be the son of the king. And I, and I think over time he will be brought back in. They will find a new model for this whole that they will bring Harry not back into the fold because Charles, as we know from that most excellent biography by Tom Bowden, which I mentioned last year, Charles is intent on this mission to to make the royal family smaller. He's sick of the Andrews and the Beatrixes and the, you know, Edwards and Sophies and everybody gathering around and being on the pay list. Charles will come in and he will cut, cut, cut. And I think Harry... Um, has been having this discussion with William and with Charles for quite some time about, so where does this leave me? But think about this in terms of our own families. Well, maybe not maybe not yours or mine, but just general sort of family structures, the way they work, Caro. If there's a, if there's a son or daughter who's the heir apparent of the business or the land or, you know, I think particularly pastoral properties, what happens to the second, third, fourth children? Now, Usually they'll, they'll if let's think of ter- in terms of country life. Usually they'll come to Melbourne and they'll go to uni or they'll get a job or they'll you know they'll make a life elsewhere. It's very hard for Prince Harry to make a life elsewhere. He's got to be number two, number three, number four, number five. What is he now? Sixth in line to the throne. It's very hard for him to make a life. I totally understand what's happening here. And I think they are a loving family. I think particularly after Diana's death, Charles probably just got the wake-up call that he needed to be, you know, more involved in family matters. Yeah, but the brothers have clearly fallen out. I mean, they've made Well, how do we know? I mean, who are these royal watchers? If I see one more freaking royal watcher. No, no, no. Harry Harry said when he was over in South Africa, my brother and I are now on different paths. Yes, but that didn't mean that they're fallen out. Well, I don't agree with that necessarily. My brother is going to be king and I am not. So our paths are diverging. The two have been joined at the hip since Diana's death in particular. And, you know, you look at all that footage, you know, I was looking at something the other day that popped up on my feed of um, Camilla and Charles's wedding and the boys are, you know, tying cans to the car and all that sort of, like they were Harry and Wills. They were just such a team. And I think they have both realised that that can't happen anymore because William is, is, is the chosen one. So Harry's got to go and find his life. The other thing I, I disagree with that. I think you're assuming there that Harry, in some way, resents it. I don't think he. No, in not any resents way... it. I think he's being pragmatic. No, I think I, he's I, being pragmatic. I disagree. I mean, I know. I've that... never had a sense of him being agitated or jealous. I have to stress. No, I don't think. It's no, the case I, of that. I disagree with you though. I think that there has clearly been falls out, and the fact that the chosen journo, the preferred journo of Harry and Meghan, has been Im- implying, you know, comments that were made in the lead up to the wedding. Who's fights. also Tom, who wrote the biography of Prince Charles, which I mentioned earlier. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I, I think that Harry and Meghan have clearly leaked that things have been done in the wrong way from the brother and the wife. Now, you can't say they haven't had a falling out of some sort. I'm not saying they don't speak and they never speak again, but they've definitely fallen out. Well, I would prefer to say and the relationship has changed, but I don't think there's... No, I they've fallen out. And I think the other thing... Well, I disagree with you. The, the other thing is... <laughs> And how do you know who your royal royal watches? I mean, isn't it hilarious? We talk about this being such a scandal, but as Jane Garvey on my most favourite podcast, fortunately, said the other day, imagine being a royal watcher at the time of Henry VIII. You would have been rushed off your feet. (laughs) Look, I think the reason we're so fascinated by it is it's history repeating itself. 
people have talked about Mrs Simpson, obviously a completely different situation, but yes, someone from North America, yes, a foreigner. You know, Meghan is seen as the Yoko Ono of the you know royal family now. It It is quite interesting that, um, and there has been clearly a lot of bad blood and a lot of anger. You cannot deny that. I mean, to leave, to actually leave the country, to move away from the country of your birth, to get away from, and it's not, it can't just be the media that has driven them away from the country. But what, what will be interesting now is will they receive money from the Duchy of Cornwall? I know they're not getting money from the national budget. I mean, that's going to be the interesting one. And that, I think, is where the nub of the argument has been. And what exactly will they do? Well, The Guardian had an interesting And will the marriage story. survive? That's... Well, I mean, will any marriage survive? We can't predict the that. People, the way I people mean, have turned on Megan is quite I remarkable. I know, but I just, I don't want to talk about someone, their marriage. Someone I think that's quite, just so someone personal. Someone quite young came up to me the other day and said, she's a narcissist. Oh, <laughs> well, I just, I'm like, really? Do we know that? The Guardian had a, made a really, had a really interesting story this week. The Guardian in the UK, I should say. And they were looking at um, the couple's potential as the world's biggest influences now that they've stepped down from royal duties. And I think that's really interesting because... They could actually be inventing a whole new paradigm in global leadership. You know, you think, well, you think of people like Bill and Melinda Gates. Is Harry actually that intelligent? I'm sorry, I think you're giving him a lot of credit. He's not a bad kid, but he's not exactly a. Okay, so, okay, so tell me that you wouldn't be a major villain. Philan- think those wins oh, aren't oh they? Oh, my God. <laughs> what is this a judgment of? If it Prince makes, Charles, you tell I think, me, has been ahead of his me, time. You tell me that on- you're a CEO or a chairman of a big philanthropic organisation and international and you wouldn't you wouldn't jump at the opportunity to have Harry with his warmth, his integrity and his turn of phrase and his humour come and open your conference or speak at your conference or talk about mental oh, health they're definitely, or talk about... They're definitely celebrities. Um, yeah. Well, I just think that they have an incredible opportunity to... Um, you know, they've also got that wonderful. They they mix with high net wealth, but they can also get down with the people. You know, the and 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 the disadvantaged. And um, you know, I, I think they have all a of really that, good role of that, to but, play. No, they can certainly back causes. Barack, Barack I, Michelle Obama. I think Bill when you're talking Melinda about Gates. global paradigms, I think you're giving you're giving them a bit more. No, I disagree. <laughs> Watch this space. And also the other thing, Cara, too, is I was thinking about how Harry, for a couple of years, has been really working hard with the Queen on the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. In particular, the um, the climate change element of that, and I think probably she will give him a very special place with that Commonwealth Trust. So you know, watch this space. I, but also, don't forget, things will change when Charles is king. Well, I, I do remember when I lived in the UK in the eighties, and people used to make fun of Charles for talking to plants and going on about the climate and ecological issues and really looking back, he was ahead of his time. Who's having the last laugh now? He was ahead of his time. (laughs) Okay, we clearly don't agree on the royals. Do you have a crush this week, Corrie? I have a crush. Look, I have a couple of crushes. I mean, Ash Barty, we seem to mention her all the time. We always have a crush on her. Carol, I just wanted to mention um, as a co-crush, Celeste Barber. So Celeste Barber, who we all know through Instagram and Comedy World and so on, she has now raised $52 million. She wanted to, initially she hoped to raise 30000 1.3 million people around the world have given to her cause. Her joy, her humility, her disbelief each time she films herself, you know, another, and they reach another target, she bursts into tears. I'm loving her. And just in case people are wondering, this is all, you know, Celeste Barber is all just for show. Can I just tell you that last Friday, the New South Wales Rural Fire Service confirmed that $29 million had arrived in their bank account 
from Celeste Barber's fund. That's remarkable, isn't it? So it's already happening. So cheers, hooray, well done. That's all I can say. Yeah, a very good crush of the week. We move on now to BSF. Okay, we're just going to quickly list our top three of everything and recipes and things will follow and details over the coming weeks. But you've read lots of books. Give us your best three. Catch and Kill by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Ronan Farrow, which is about the Harvey Weinstein NBC cover-up. Yeah, Fascinating. dying to read that. Lady in Waiting by Anne Glen Connor. So she was the lady in waiting of uh, Margaret, Princess Margaret, but she was also in the Queen's coronation parade, or I don't know what do you call it. What do she you makes call that parade? She not makes parade. A, she makes um, a gather her pageant? bridesmaids or whatever that. She makes an appearance on the crown, doesn't she? Very she does, briefly, yes. when Margaret's going over to Mustique. <laughs> um, so Anne Glen Connor. I mean, I think she writes with wit, humour. She's had a really. Was that the one? Laugh. Mum was. Yeah, about. your yeah. mother loved yeah. it. So I, I picked it up and had to read. And then one that comes out next week, Caro, so it's not in the bookshops yet, but have a look for it, House of Trelawney by Hannah Rothschild of the Rothschild family in the UK. You'll love this one. Family saga set in big, sprawling Cornish seaside estate. Oh, yeah, that looked great. Uh, crumbling mansion, uh, stately homes of England, and the GFC hits 2008, 2009. And gosh, what do you know? All their money's in English banks that are going, <laughs> tumbling down. It's, re- I'm, look, it's pretty trashy, but it's it's actually quite well written. I'm hooked. I can't wait to loan it to you and Anna and hear what you have to say. <laughs> no, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to what that. What about yours? Well, um, an oldie and a very old fashioned book by one of my favourite authors, Anne Bridge, who wrote a book called Illyrian Spring that is one of my favourite books ever. Um, she was a diplomat's wife and she writes beautifully about travel. But the one, I actually bought it at your shop. It's called Julia into Ireland, in Ireland. And it is just a lovely, fu- funny little story about Ireland in the 60s and 70s and um, this character who is a has been a spy, basically, in the Middle East. It is just a wonderful story, Julia in Ireland by Anne Bridge. I know you scoffed at Bruni, Corrie, but I really enjoyed it. It does get a little bit preachy. This is by Heather Rose, the woman who wrote The Museum of Modern Love. I love Heather Rose's Completely writing. Completely different story. But you did t- t- turn up your nose at Bruni. I have turned up my nose yep. at Bruni. No, but what a, do I know? It's just been shortlisted for the Indie Book of the Year. So, hey, don't listen to me. It's a great story. It's a complete thriller. Anyone who's interested in Tasmania, Hobart, Bruni Island, there's a bit of UN underground operative it, look, it's just a, a fa- it's a really, really good story, a little bit far-fetched, and she does go off on a few tangents about the world and climate change, but oh, it's a great story. Bruni, and I've just finished it. You know, I struggled, but the last three days I haven't been able to put it down. Rachel Cusk outlined. This is a first in a trilogy. Um, she's a beautiful writer. She's a, a Canadian-born lives in England now, I think. She's a little bit younger than us. It's basically a novel in 10 conversations, a woman who you gather after a while that her marriage has just ended. She's gone um, over to Athens to um, teach teach a creative writing course. And it's basically conversations with people she meets on the way, when she gets there. It is it is one of the most beautifully – you can't put her down after a while. It's she's a, lyrical. She's a real uh, – she has a real fan club amongst our co-potties or friend potties, uh, the, 
Annabelle Crabb and Lee Sale. They've been talking about Rachel Cusk for years. And in fact, I've just discovered her nonfiction writing. So I haven't given the novels a go. A bit slow off the uptake there. But I'm glad you've enjoyed So that's the first of three, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I'm happy because I've now got a lot of reading ahead. Um, and in fact, um, my, my daughter's boyfriend, Will, gave me a book of her essays as well. And she writes beautifully about mm. other writers. Mm. Um, anyway, um, but I thoroughly enjoyed that and thank you. It was my book club, KK, and it doesn't always work out the old book. Often you get books that you don't love, but Mandy gave it to me and I loved it. And tell me about your screen. What are your three best screens? No, we're just doing watched? movies, aren't we? We're, we're not doing TV shows. Oh, okay. Well, I have a Netflix, but yeah, oh, it is a movie. Yeah, that's it qualifies. Okay, yep. Well, it, easy for me. Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, absolutely loved it. Great ride. Hugh Grant is sublime. Colin Farrell is great too. Really enjoyed it. Um, laughed and laughed. Went with a few couples and we all loved it. The new, um, the Greta Gerwig version of Little Women, just adored it. Oh, adored really? It. I just don't think I can do another Little Women. I thought that too. But it's a slightly different take, a bit more about the publishing side of it, the literary side of Joe in particular and Louisa May Alcott. That uh, Skielse Ronan, how do I pronounce it? Sorsha. Sorsha Ronan. Anyway, she's absolutely brilliant as Joe. So it, that was um, the second one. And the third one is The Marriage Story. Mm, which, I love um, that. was briefly on at the cinema, but it's been on, I think it became it's on a Netflix, a Netflix yeah. film like The Irishman. Adam Driver, absolutely brilliant, as was Scarlett Johansson. Very Great hard script. To, very hard film to see if you've been through a divorce. Oh, Spoiler really? alert. Oh, well, I, well, you know, like, I really. It's very emotional if you have. It Be, is. Beware, it, beware. Bit of a modern day Kramer versus Kramer. And um, with a shout out to Laura Dern, who's brilliant as a lawyer and is also brilliant. Scary as And is lawyer. also brilliant as Mami in Little Women. What about you? Okay, so The Gentleman, I agree. And I just think Hugh Grant, really, why hasn't he been nominated for something? <laughs> why? Yeah. In fact, why hasn't that, why hasn't The Gentleman been nominated for anything, Caro? Is it because it's seen as a 2020 movie? I'm not sure. It has not appeared on one list. Maybe BAFTAs are that coming can be up. My, sure. That's my assignment for the week, Corrie. Oh, okay, I'll come you back can find out. Week. But Guy Ritchie, it's, he's just back to lock, stock and two smoking barrels fame. He's fantastic. The Irishman I watched on Netflix and really enjoyed. It's a long film, but oh my goodness. Al Pacino is sensational. Joe Pesci, so great to see him back on the screen. And, I mean, Robert De Niro carries the film, so what's not to love? And then the third one, as my children often say, you are really unexpected in your taste when you love these sort of movies. London Has Fallen. Oh, yeah, that's a, a TV thriller, one, isn't it? A thriller. It's a Netflix 2016 film starring Jared Butler, who's rather handsome, and Aaron oh, Eckhart. Oh, yes. Okay. So Jared Butler plays the bodyguard of the US president. Aaron Eckhart is the uh, US president, and the two of them are caught in London on a state visit when a massive terrorism attack occurs. The, the uh, special effects are amazing. To see the Westminster Abbey just fall... Uh, fall in a pile of rubble, one of the towers. Like, it's just so unbelievably believable. London really does fall. Uh, it's a great <laughs> film. London has fallen, maybe not with the children because there is a fair bit of violence, but I tell you what, it's a great Saturday or Sunday night, Sunday night movie if you're sitting there just wondering what's going to float my boat. And I also have to do a nod to Bluey, which I know is, strictly speaking, not a film, Caro, but I've watched a lot of Bluey with the grandies over the weekend. I'm hooked. She's fab. Love her. Okay, all right. Well, I, I want to give a shout out to Bombshell. I hate the word shout out to Bombshell because I did really enjoy yeah, let's that ban, too. Let's ban shout out. Give and let's special ban mention, reach out. Special mention to Bombshell, which um, I thought Charlize Theron was absolutely brilliant 
as the main character there. Now, your three best recipes or dishes of the summer. Okay, so we're going to give the recipes of these over the next few weeks. Um, my, I went to Sydney for a couple of days, as you know, stayed with our friends um, Jill and Tim. And Jill, on our first night there, cooked the most sublime chicken and olive tagine full of preserved lemons, fennel, leeks, hanu, cumin, turmeric. It was to die for. She has photographed the recipe. It's a bit fuzzy, the photo that's come through on my message. I'm going to have to clear it up and cook it before I present it, unlike the chicken livers. Um, <laughs> Good idea. And I'm going to give that in the next couple of weeks because it's just a winner. The second one, as you said earlier, was something I'd cooked myself. <laughs> if I may say, it's from the Fresh and Easy Cookbook by Jane Hornby. Um, gee, that's an original title for a cookbook. And it's called Berry Crumble Ice Cream. And it's really easy. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing a nil by mouth with sugar in February, this is not the one for you. But we will actually feature this in the show notes this week. And then the third one was... Um, and friend- a, a note to self, take it out of the freezer before serving. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yes, I had to put it in the oven. It was too hard. We did have to get out carving knives to eat it, but it was very nice. No, it was. It was beautiful. <laughs> I just knew there was going to be something I Oh, come on. It no, was it was. Funny. No, you have to. You do have to get it out probably at least <laughs> half an hour before. I'd had to heat up the oven and soften it to <laughs> or the chainsaw. Anyway, and the third thing is Francesca uh, and Coco together actually made fish tacos on the weekend. And I know there's nothing original about a fish taco, but Francesca has sent me the recipe for this. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go through it with you because if you just want easy, kids love it, oldies love it. It was just universally loved and adored and um, the two girls um, did a great job. So those are my three. What about you? Yeah, well, mine are all fish. Um, the best bar snack by a million miles that I've had all summer was Clementine's um, spicy tuna tartare on a seaweed cracker with a sort of a spicy cupy uh, mayo sort of thing. It is absolutely delicious. You buy those... Yum. You know what? They, what's her name? Mary McSomething. Those little seaweed. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Crackers that you are buy. good for you. Everybody yeah. says there are no calories. I don't believe that. They're absolutely delicious. But anyway, it, you, tuna tartare. There's a a cupy mayo with. I don't know whether she does chili or it is absolutely. I delicious. love cupy mayo. I just love saying. Oh. I love saying cupy mayo. It's a great recipe. All summer I've been saying cupy mayo. Our friend Tanya's poached trout with fennel and white wine, the whole trout with fennel and white wine, Beautiful. was one of the most delicious dishes I have ever eaten. Hey, can you? It's me too. Can you get the recipe? Oh, and the other one that I have got the recipe for was our friend Melinda's kingfish and tamarind curry. Kingfish I'm so curry. glad you've got that recipe. That was absolutely delicious. It's got um, a lot of ingredients. It was absolutely beautiful. Can you talk about that more next week? Yeah, I think I'm we gonna, should go into detail on that and one. I, and and I, I will give a special mention to my Christmas salmon, which was a whole salmon with um, a tomato corn cast. I knew, abs- I knew something. Absolutely you, I delicious. I knew something you'd cooked had come up just to meet my berry <laughs> Well, it, did, it disappeared so quickly I never got to oh, taste stop. it. Oh, stop. And, and I bet you didn't have to leave it, take it out of the freezer half an hour before. <laughs> Corrie, what are you grumpy about? <laughs> I'm so grumpy. <clears throat> Caro, on my couple of weeks off, as you do, you start to do your clericals. And so I was joining and rejoining and re-subscribing um, and whatever to a whole lot of things. And as I was trying to sign up to my Dwell magazine subscription, and this is not an uncommon thing for all of us who happen to be going through some sort of security thing on the internet, that thing comes up where you go, you know, I am not a robot. Oh, yeah. So you tick the box. You've got to say, which is a level crossing. And then up come the thing, you know, tick the boxes with the traffic lights or the buses or the trucks. Don't tell me you got it wrong. No, first of all, okay, (laughs) 
First of all, the most appalling quality photographs. Like you really have to look. Secondly, American traffic lights. Yeah, and you know, and and so you got, they don't look like ours. So what the hell is that? And I then know, the we, third thing bit, is we're sheep, aren't and we? Then really? In one of them, there there is a pedestrian crossing. So I'm looking at the pedestrian light, thinking, mm, does that qualify? Like, is a pedestrian light a traffic light? Do I tick that box? So when you get it wrong the first time, you go, I'm not a robot. I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> so do, have just, you I'm ever really got Because I don't know up. what happens if you get it wrong. What happens? No, they just say they give you another thing that you have to do. Oh. You go down a whole kind of Bermuda into a Bermuda triangle of. <laughs> bloody puzzle things, that you, little squares that you have to tick. And it's so frustrating. So change the security format, everybody out there in the World Wide Web. I can't stand it. I'm over it. Um, well, if, I think your life's going pretty well if you're grumpy about that, Corey. I think you've had a good summer. <laughs> Six quick questions. Where do you stand on Australia Day? Well, I think like most Australians, Cara, I felt pretty uncomfortable the other day. We didn't celebrate it. Uh, the whole family was there, but we didn't celebrate it. Um, I, you don't feel quite right now celebrating a day when the European ships arrived in New South Wales. So I say, yay, let's have Australia Day, but let's change the date. Why not January the 1st? New beginnings, you know, start of the year. It's a public holiday anyway. Let's just change the date. Oh, New Year's Day. That's an unusual. But it's already, already wouldn't you make it a special well, day? Wouldn't it be lovely to have a party day on New Year's Day? Well, I think people do anyway, don't they? Oh, well, okay. I don't no, know. Anyway. I, I agree with you. It's not my favourite public holiday. I just want to know this summer, my question to you is, are you less agitated about Nick Kyrgios than you were a few months ago? Slightly less, but I'm not converted. I remain sceptical. Um, he certainly had a real crack at, Wim- at Wimbledon, at the Australian Open this year, and he played really well. He can't have, he just wasn't good enough in the end. He's not as good as Nadal. If only he would go to the gym and get fit. Oh. If only. Because But you were happy with his temperament and Oh, his... he's behaved a lot better. He made a few smart aleck comments and was a little bit silly. But no, no, he's he's certainly behaved better. And it, it's lovely that he's, you know, also taken a stand on bushfire relief and people in high places can do that, so it's fantastic that he's done it. But I'm not over the line, but I'm certainly less agitated, yes. Glad to hear. As a, you, this is an interesting question. Did you have an imaginary friend when you were a child? Well, I, the reason I put this down was I was telling somebody about Moon Boy the other day and I remembered that I had an imaginary friend. When your brother Oh, is, that brilliant show, yeah, TV show. The Irish yep. show, Moon yep. Boy, M-O-O-N-E. You must watch it, everyone, if you've got kids uh, or not. My brother was eight, is eight years older than me and so you're a bit. friends are a bit thin on the ground and playmates when you're at home alone. So I invented... Peter, which is slightly ironic because I'm now married to a Peter, but Peter was my friend. One night, my brother invented his imaginary friend, which is really weird. He was 12 and I was six or five or something. Anyway, he decided in his maturity to invent one called Johnny. And then he picked a fight with Peter and Johnny pumbled Peter (laughs) and I burst into tears. Like, I don't know why that came to my mind the other day, but um, I thought, has anybody else out there, have you had an imaginary friend? What about you, Caro? My brother had one and we all sort of adopted her. She was very scary. Yes. Yeah, no. What was her name? Mubby Ubby. What? <laughs> I don't know why or how she came into our lives, but she wasn't a friend, really. Oh, she, she, well, it's easy. She came through Will's head, but <laughs> what do you mean how why she came into your lives? Well... She just was part of our games all of a sudden. And there, she was sort of a, a threatening sort of character that we always had to sort of keep away from. 
in my memory. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but no, I didn't have an imaginary friend. This is another f- reason to have Will on the show. I didn't have an imaginary friend as such. Do you oh. think they're going to call um, John Bolton as a witness? Yeah, they will. Absolutely. No doubt. I mean, they have to. And in fact, as we speak, new leaks are coming through about this manuscript of John Bolton's book, former National Security Advisor, and he, the, what's coming through is really putting the pressure on Senate Republican senators who have been wavering. So I think we will, but, um, you know, it won't lead to impeachment. But anyway, what was your favourite Christmas gift? I got lots of lovely presents. I, I think the, the children gave us a beautiful lunch at a place called Paringa Estate, where we haven't actually been to yet, but I'm told it's absolutely brilliant. So that is an anticipatory present. My brother, among the presents, gave me one of Clive James's book, books of essays and I had Falling Towards England and um, a couple of his books of TV reviews, but reading Clive James again just reminded me what a great author he was and my sister gave me some beautiful bed linen and you, I'm just a nut <clears throat> bed linen. And? And you gave me the Joni Mitchell book, which I love. I love. <laughs> Of course. And I love the bag it came in too. I've been using it. Thank you, Corrie. Yes. Very, very nice. Glad we Um, remembered that one. Now, what's your GLT? You want me to give a gardening tip? No, no. You just said in in an email to me you had a couple of gardening tips. I don't know what your GLT is. Well, I mean, there is a thing called black black grit. Do what you like. If you can find this thing called black grit, I am told it will save your lemon tree. It will. You put this, you can't get it hardly anywhere. Ash. It's called black oh, grit. Caro, that's a bit topical. You put it on your lemons and the leaves shoot up again. It is the most fantastic lemon tree saver of all time. I wonder if, what's in it. Jane, do you know? If You're someone can find thumb. it for me. Have you heard of black grit? No, but it sounds like something you put on your face in a mask. Um, <laughs> my my tip to you, Caro, is prune your wisteria. Mine is about to consume oh, our house. Jane, <laughs> we've, I've already done that. No, Corrie, um, two quick GLTs. On Australia Day... Make sure you read all the Australia Day honours because we're now old enough and we have such lovely and influential friends that we know a lot of people who get them and it's good to get in early to congratulate them. And hello to our friend Deb Conway. Yes, who has become an AM. And And Julie Cantor and my dear friend Claire Wright. Historian extraordinaire. It's been some wonderful and well-deserved Australia Day honours this year. And I'm going to tell you, I know you laughed at this one, but it was a great GLT. You know, Mum's friend Anne, who and my who had the beautiful buttons along the bottom of her <laughs> jumper. I know you laughed at this. It was the most beautiful bright pink jumper with lovely pink buttons all the way along the bottom. And we said, what a gorgeous design. What a great idea. The way it hangs. She said, look, it's a really good way of covering up stains. And I've spilt some White King there and I couldn't get it off. And so I've sewed a whole lot of buttons along the front. And how good does this look? Corrie, why is that so funny? If you have a stain on a piece of clothing, particularly knitwear, when it just ruins it, sew some buttons over it. <laughs> it's a great GLT. I'm going to jump in and say black grit is a fused calcium magnesium silicate phosphate soil amendment. It's available online. Just Google black grit. Vasili's Garden, so very well known. Vasily. Um, community TV guy, so oh, yeah. must be the stuff. With oh, that ridiculous Vasily. beard. Oh, get it. Yes, shave in 2020. <laughs> oh, no, that's Costa. Wrong guy. Oh, okay. Oh, is sorry. It? Sorry. Right. I'm sorry. The wrong one. <laughs> sorry, but, Vasily. No, and Vasily has great tips. Sorry, I do Vasily. read his tips. 
I think there's a lot of GLTs there, but, you know, hey, it's been a long summer. Well, if I have any buttons in my button drawer, I'm happy to give them to you, Caris, for next time you drop some You would have mark so on. many buttons that you wouldn't know what to do with them. And I have a lot of blue ones and pink ones. So do you think that's a nice fashion look? Did Anne look quite sweet in her well, little button thing? Corrie, we were complimenting was you on a jumper. Was she playing bridge with your auntie Button? He was, funnily <laughs> enough. Funnily enough. <laughs> oh, says Button, but, I love your buttons. Well, hysterically... You'll never guess who bought the house next door to her. Senator John Button. She went over to him and said, hello, Senator Button. I'm Button Howard. Can I just tell what he said? Her real name is not that. It's Georgiana. But... Georgina. Oh, Georgina. Georgina. Sorry, I yeah. thought it was Her daughter's Georgiana. Georgiana. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I love that. Hello, Senator Button. I'm Button Howard. That is our first episode oh, for 2020. Oh, so much to talk about. I feel sick. We've got a lot more to talk about next week. Please tell all your friends and family to subscribe to Don't Shoot the Messenger. In 2020, we are inviting sponsors to join us. If you would like to become part of the Don't Shoot family and grow your business's profile via a connection with our podcast, please get in touch with our producer, Jane Neal, via feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. Yeah, Jane, strike a hard bargain. And send your feedback, comics, tip, comments, tips and suggestions and comical suggestions if you want. Don't shoot the messenger Facebook page, Instagram or Twitter. Use the handle at don't shoot pod or email feedback at don't shoot pod dot com dot au. Thank you, Miss Jane. It's lovely to see you again. We've Thank got you. so much news to catch up on. And look, the AFL Media Guide, by the way, is sitting on our desk, as well as a fixture guide for both the AFL and the AFLW. It is my Bible, Corrie, so I'm just going to give that a plug, and I think you should sell it at your shop. We're getting in the mood, Cara. We're getting ready for the first bounce of the season. Thanks to my uh, keep cup. I'm so glad Miss Jane was able to work it for me. I'm going to take it home and wash it for you, Corrie. <laughs> and what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger.